Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. If you want to create change in any area of your life, you're in the right place. Together, we'll explore the strategies and tools I've used to lose over 100 pounds, pay off $130,000 in debt, and become a multiple seven-figure business owner. I've supported thousands of women to levels of execution and fulfillment they didn't know were possible. So if you're frustrated, if you're doubting yourself, if you're not enjoying the journey, there's a better way. Together, we'll break through your past patterns, we'll eliminate the appeal of your excuses so you can get consistent, stay consistent, create the results you want, and most importantly, enjoy the journey. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Hope you are doing well. Thanks for joining me for another episode. I'm excited about this one. I learned a lot in the process of making this episode, and it's stuff that I'm excited to practice with myself, with my kids, with my clients, but mostly with myself, (laughs) if I'm being really honest with you. Let me pose this situation for you and, and get you thinking about it before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Imagine if, and this happens all the time in real life, Roman, my two-year-old, and I are playing outside, and I tell him it's time to go in, and he doesn't want to go in, and so he's kicking and screaming and crying as I carry him into the house, and I get him into the house, and he's full-on fit, because he's mad that we had to go inside. Let's say that my response is to distract him with like a toy or a book. Good parenting move or bad parenting move? Redirect. I hear that all the time as a, as a parenting philosophy. Redirect to something else. And I, I've noticed not only that I do it, my mom does it very naturally with my kids. You know, if... Uh, Roman, like, let's say I'm leaving, right? I'm leaving the house and my mom is going to be watching him and he's flipping out that I'm leaving. Roman, will you show me your trucks? Distract. I think that is a crappy parenting move and here is why. A very common parenting move, but a crappy one. Because one of the primary behaviors that I observe with my clients who are struggling is that they are constantly trying to distract themselves from uncomfortable emotions. I was just going back and forth with a new client in the consistency course who said that one of her impulse eating behaviors is when she feels stressed or overwhelmed, she distracts herself with food. Obviously not an optimal response 
to stress or overwhelm or anger or anxiety. But it seems to be one that we teach. We don't want our kids to feel angry or sad or frustrated. And so we dangle this shiny carrot over here. Oh, look, maybe you'll forget that you're mad that we're inside if I show you your excavator. Because we're not comfortable with them being mad. We're not comfortable with them just being mad. They're not going to be mad forever. You know, if, if I just let Roman experience the full range of being angry and sad and disappointed that we're inside, he's not going to be angry and sad forever. He doesn't need me to fix that. And what I think it teaches is escaping uncomfortable emotions. It teaches that it is bad to feel sad or mad or angry, and we should do something else to not be mad or sad or angry anymore. And we don't get comfortable feeling mad or sad or angry or overwhelmed or frustrated, insert any emotion from a very young age. So here's where this episode came from. I love to read. I read constantly. I probably have like seven books going right now. And I'm currently just finishing up How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. You might have heard of How to Talk So Kids Will Listen. Um, this one is for little kids, ages two to seven. It's by Joanna Faber and Julie King. And of course, I'm primarily reading it because I have a two-year-old and I have infant twins. And I want to make sure that I've got good, solid, healthy strategies for my kids. But as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, there's so much in this for adults. <laughs> there is so much in this for me, for me, right? Not just for me, for my kids, but for me, for myself. And for me in what I do here in the podcast. There are a couple different themes that I wanted to share in today's episode that, uh, are absolutely influenced by this book. One of the things it talks about is that for kids, it's hard to behave right when you aren't feeling right. And what this is referring to is, you know, we don't want our kids to hit. We don't want our kids to throw things. But oftentimes, when they hit or they throw things, they're at this peak of emotion. They're really mad about something. They're frustrated about something. They're sad about something. And they're acting out in this heightened emotional state. And we as parents have this expectation, understandably, it's not a, not a bad expectation. It's not even a wrong expectation. But we have this expectation that even if you're at the height of anger, you're not going to hit and you're not going to throw things. And, and so we're, we're reacting in those moments don't hit. Don't throw that. I told you, don't throw that. You're going to hurt your sister. But what the book is trying to, to get across is that instead of approaching these moments from the standpoint of trying to correct behavior, we can approach these things from the standpoint of recognizing the emotional peak and addressing that, helping kids navigate those emotions 
because good behavior comes from feeling good. And it is very challenging to have good behavior when you're not feeling good. And I don't mean like headache, stomach ache. I mean heightened emotions that are really challenging to deal with. It's tough to make a good decision from a place of heightened emotion. And what really jumped out at me is that as adults for ourselves, we get really upset with ourselves when we don't make good decisions in these heightened emotional states. So we are really, really stressed out and we binge or we overeat or we skip the workout or we spend too much money online. And we're trying to correct that behavior through sheer willpower. And it's like we're trying to just discipline ourselves more, discipline ourselves more instead of helping ourselves navigate those emotional highs. Because if we can regulate our emotions, we naturally make better decisions. It made me pose this question to myself as I was reading through all of this pertaining to kids. How do I need to feel to increase my own chances of acting the way I want to act. So if I want to be disciplined and get up at five in the morning and get my workout in and read my Bible and I want to make really great food choices, how do I need to feel to increase my chances of acting that way? And one of the big ones for me is feeling calm which can be a challenge <laughs> when you are a work at home, stay at home, mom of multiple kids, even if you're not, right? That calm sense. And when I feel not calm, whether that is frazzled or angry or overwhelmed or stressed or any number of other things, I reduce my chances of things like taking the time to prepare a healthy dinner that I intended to cook for my family. It can feel like too much. Like I don't have the the same kind of capacity for that. And I know I'm not alone in that feeling because these are the very things I talk to my clients about every single day. But when I ask that question, how do I need to feel in order to increase the chances of acting how I want to act, then I can start to solve for that. What are the things that I can put in place today so that I feel more calm? Sometimes that is as small as taking 10 minutes before everybody wakes up to set up the morning. So it's as simple as I get up a little earlier or I come in from my walk a little bit earlier to get bottles ready for the twins, to start Roman's breakfast, to set up his high chair and his bib, to get Roman's diaper, the twins' size diapers, make sure I have wipes, outfits for everybody. Literally takes maybe five minutes and it makes my morning less chaotic. And by, by making my morning less chaotic, I am more likely to feel the way that supports me behaving the way that I want to behave. If, on the other hand, the kids are both screaming, you know, the twins are both screaming, and I'm trying to keep Roman from running outside while I make bottles for the girls. And then while I'm trying to change one diaper, Roman's open to the freezer and is pulling things out. Like, 
if I have this chaos and I start to feel that emotionally, I'm less likely to prepare myself a healthy breakfast, right? Because I'm just putting out fires, putting out fires, racing around. How do you need to feel to increase your chances of acting how you want to act? Some of that has to do with how I leave my space at the end of the day. My workspace, my kitchen, the living room, not having toys out everywhere, you know, taking the extra 10 or 15 minutes to reset the areas around me, to empty the dishwasher so that it's ready to go in the morning. All of those little things help a ton. Help a ton. Beyond that, when, because look, I can do all the preparation in the world and I'm still going to have moments of feeling overwhelmed. I'm still going to have moments of getting angry. I'm still going to have moments of being stressed. Instead of rushing through those moments and reacting and being impulsive and doing the equivalent of what I do to Roman, when it's like, here, look, here's a toy, here's a toy. We do that to ourselves like, we just, without thinking, open the fridge or start scrolling because we want to escape. Practice instead slowing down and just acknowledging the feeling and asking yourself what that feeling needs for resolution. And it might just be time. But be willing to feel it instead of just racing and rushing through it, trying to get out of it by any means possible. I have a lot of practice with this because of Dagny's death. One of my biggest opportunities around that was allowing anger to be there, sadness to be there, rage to be there, grief to be there, instead of feeling like I needed to push that feeling away or find a way to get through it quickly. I saw this tremendous opportunity to Resist the urge to race away from it and look for things that would distract me. And I have this opportunity so often as a mom too. It's almost like holding up a mirror to me of where I have work to do in my own life. I do not like it when Roman is sad. I really don't. But it is very important for me to raise a kid who doesn't want or try or learn that he needs to distract away from that or be distracted from that. You know, this comes up pretty regularly right now when Roman tries to steal something from one of his sisters, right? Inevitably, it's not something he wants unless they have it. Right? It's like their stuff that he has no interest in until they have it and are interested in it. And then he wants to race over there and, and take it from them. And I just 
let him know. You know, you, you can't do that. And he doesn't like it. He gets really mad. I don't like to see him cry. It is so uncomfortable for me to see my kids angry or sad or unhappy. And it would be easier in a moment to say, hey, buddy, you want to go get an apple with mom? Or you want to read a book with mom? But what I'm trying to do in those moments is short circuit his emotional response. That's not good for him. And that's not good for me to keep reinforcing as a normal response to anger or sadness or anything like that. It's not like he's going to stay mad forever, right? It's not like I'm going to say stay stressed forever. These feelings have a lifespan and it's generally pretty short. And I want Roman and I want me to not have the impulse to race away from those feelings. And I want that from you too. We don't just do this with kids. We do this with our friends. You know, somebody loses a job and they're really sad about it or they're mad about it. We say, you know what? You know, I bet the next thing coming is going to be this great thing in, in large part, whether it's conscious or not, because we don't want them to feel sad because that's uncomfortable. It's not a problem to be mad or sad. But I think it creates a lot of problems when we have this patterned response of trying to race away from that. An obvious caveat here, I'm not a therapist. I do not play a therapist on the internet. So there's that. We can leave it at that. If you need a therapist, get a therapist. My opportunity for myself, momming aside, is to slow down and be okay with feelings of all kinds so that the next time I'm really stressed or I'm really angry or I'm really sad or I'm really scared, I don't have to distract myself with food or any number of other things. I can just experience that thing. You don't need to make that feeling stop. Slow down and let that feeling move through you or around you. You don't have to move. You don't have to react. You don't have to be impulsive. This is something that we are always working to increase our awareness of inside the consistency course. The difference between a solution and a distraction. Some emotions don't necessarily have a solution. They're just in need of processing. They're just, they need to go through you or you need to go through it. Other things very much have a solution. And so we need to work on the solution instead of the distraction. Stress is an example. This week is a little bit of a crazy week for me in that all three kids have doctor's appointments 
Plus, the twins have their occupational therapy, normal appointment. I have two personal appointments. And so the routine that we have of when I work versus when Chris gets his time and then I'm full on with the kids, it's all out of kilter. But I still have to work. And there was a a tension rising in me over like, when am I going to get this stuff done? When am I going to get this stuff done? And how, how am I going to make it all work this week? That is an example of the, the tension or the stress or the anxiety that rises from that. There's a solution there. And I want to give my attention to the solution, which is different from a distraction or being like, oh, it'll all work out. Don't stress. It'll all work out. I want to engage in the solution. Maybe I need to plan out my days better. Maybe I need to get up a little bit earlier. Maybe I need to work a little bit later. Maybe I need to sit down with Chris and have a conversation and and map out the timing of things and who's going to be with who when. Don't confuse a solution and a distraction. I probably have that conversation with 20 people a week in the consistency course. I'm not even getting in different different examples of that and ways that that shows up in people's lives. Because here's the thing, like, we are about halfway through 2023. Is what you're doing working? You know, if you, you might have had this pattern of distracting with food or alcohol or spending or television for decades, And I don't want this to be just another year where you stay in the struggle. Is what you're, you wouldn't be listening to this show if you didn't want to change something. Is your approach working for you as we are here halfway through 2023? Is it working? Is what you're doing working? Or do you need a new approach? Or a new resource in your corner or both? The time is flying by and I don't want you to reinforce patterns that don't serve you. I don't want you to continue to feel lost or overwhelmed or like you kind of have an idea of what you want to change, but you don't know how. I want you to say like, I need to do something different. It's time. I need to do something different or I need more support in this. It's one of the most powerful things we can do is recognize when It's just not best to try to do it on our own anymore. And there are so many ways to to respond to that, right? I mean, I mentioned, like, if you need a therapist, get a therapist. If you need a coach, get a coach. But don't just be in that hamster wheel of doing the same thing and the same thing and trying over and starting over and doing it again and getting upset and getting frustrated and starting over and trying, like, the time is going too fast. I just loved so much this notion that good behavior doesn't flow from crappy thinking. (laughs) You know what I mean? And good behavior doesn't flow from heightened emotions. So we have to be better thinkers. We have to be willing to ride the wave of emotional peaks and valleys that are very, very normal. That we can expect. They're going to happen. We get to improve our coping skills. We get to improve our response to emotion. Our own emotion, our kids' emotion, our spouse's emotion, our friend's emotion, our coworker's emotion. We get to do that. 
But we have to be honest if what we're doing or what we've been trying or how we've been approaching it, if it isn't working, find support. Find a resource. Find a coach. And I understand firsthand that sometimes it feels like we can't afford it. And that is very real and very valid. But what is also real and valid is can you afford not to? Can you afford to remain in this struggle? Can you afford another year of poor health and where that's taking you? Can you afford another year of impaired relationships and where that's taking you? That's, that's just as real. A lot to think about, for sure. A lot to think about. I'll link up the book. For those of you who have kids in that age age range, two to seven, it's been interesting. There's definitely a lot that I've taken from it that I'm uh, excited to practice with my kiddos and with myself and with my clients. All right. Everybody have an amazing day. I'll talk to you soon.